You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Arelis Hernandez, the national correspondent here at The Post. My guest today is acclaimed author Esmeralda Santiago. She joins me now to discuss her new novel, Las Madres. Esmeralda, bienvenida to Washington Post Live. Uh, muchas gracias. Buenas tardes. Very nice to meet you. Likewise, likewise. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, sure. Las Madres, it starts with an accident. Can you briefly explain how this sets the stage for the rest of the story? Yes, uh, the story begins with a young girl who's 15 years old, a ballerina in Puerto Rico. Uh, and um, she has uh, an experience that really upsets her. And on the way home from um, that experience, she and her parents get into a car accident that caused her to have a lot of physical and uh, emotional issues to deal with. And the worst part of it is that she loses her ability to remember things. So the story evolves from this very dramatic event in her life and how the people who come into her life help her to live with her disability and to have a good life, uh, even though she has a lot of issues to deal with. And this character's name is Luz, correct? <laughs> Her name is Luz Peña, and uh, she she's um, a very, very smart and very accomplished uh, ballerina when we first meet her. Uh, when we first um, see her, she's actually looking back uh, in her life. And the interesting thing about her is that she has these flashes of memory that she can't share because the minute they flash on, they also flash off. And it is very, very difficult for her to express what her past has been because the minute she remembers them, she forgets it. And so the people around her really have no sense of her internal life. Um, but as a novelist, <laughs> I'm able to explore that. No, we're going to get into some of those uh, those memory issues and why you do use that as a device in, in your book. I'm curious, Luz is one of Las Madres, right, this group of women, and what leads them to Puerto Rico? Well, there are three Madres, um, Luz and her two friends, Shirley and Ada, who share two daughters, Marisol and Graciela. And they decide to go to Puerto Rico for Shirley's 70th birthday. Unbeknownst to them, and I think everyone who was in Puerto Rico at the time, Hurricane Maria moves very, very quickly toward the archipelago. And they are stranded in Puerto Rico during the time of uh, their visit. And they have to not only survive um, the hurricane, but try to survive the days after the hurricane. And it's all about how they, who we have now met over the course of the book, how do they deal with this situation? Um, will they fall apart or will they put on their boots and, and, and manage it? And, um, and it's, a, it's about this struggle that they have trying to not only uh, maintain uh, survival, but also learning about how Puerto Ricanos dealt with this situation, the people around them. 
No, I have to say, um, there were many, many moments that while I was reading the book where uh, I was shocked by the memories that came flowing. I actually covered Hurricane Maria as part of my work here at the Post and also just watching my relatives live through it and, and themselves try to survive through what was just a horrendous, horrendous storm. Um, talking about Luz and her many, many journals, I, I want to read something she reflects on. This is okay. my life, she'll tell herself. And just as often she'll ask, is this my life? Talk to me about your exploration of memory in Las Madres. Um, well, the exploration really begins with two different events in my life. One was um, my father, who was in his <clears throat> in my late in his late eighties, and I was interviewing him because, as my parents aged, I really wanted to record them because they had a lot of stories that I hadn't heard. And I asked him about Hurricane San Felipe Segundo, and he was um, eight or nine years old when that hurricane went uh, through Puerto Rico. And that was, again, another Category 5 hurricane. And his entire demeanor changed from this elder <laughs> that was very kind of uh, respectable and quiet and dignified. And he becomes a little boy. Um, in the telling of his experience in this hurricane. And it was really very moving to me when Hurricane Maria comes. I realized, oh my goodness, there's going to be several generations who are going to be affected by the events of Hurricane Maria in their lives in the same way that my father had not been able to forget his experience. And it's a trauma that stayed with him the rest of his life. And it really upset me and also uh, made me think that I need to write about this. And secondly, my, my obsession, I guess, with memoir is that in 2008, I had a stroke and I had a brief period in which I had lost my, I was amnesiac for a little while, not very long, but long enough to be terrifying. And um, when I decided to write Las Madres, I began with the idea I'm going to write a book about memory, but then I remembered my experience and I said how terrifying it could be, it would be to be someone who has no memory. And what does that do to you? What does it do for your identity? Because you no longer have context in your life. And, uh, and so that's where the... Um, the story of Luce's issues and, and her condition, which I, I researched thoroughly, but frankly, uh, I invented. Um, and, uh, and just my response to that, and also as giving uh, readers a sense of, of um, these kinds of events, you may not remember them or you may not be able to express them, but they're still there. Well, let's talk about Puerto Rico, because it's a uh, you, you. Puerto Rico is a part of you. It's a part of your writing. It's part of your repertoire. Um, part of the story, of course, is told against the backdrop of Huracan Maria. Um, in Las Madres, the locals rally around the women who are left stranded uh, in this community, um, which I think I know which community you were talking about in the book, but we'll <laughs> see that later. Uh, could you describe the importance of, of community in this particular narrative? Yeah, well, I think 
it was very important to me that they be in a specific place, um, that would be a place that would, would be familiar to Puerto Ricans, even though I kind of invented the way <laughs> this particular community um, uh, functions because I needed, uh, for dramatic purposes, I need the house to be in a particular place and for some of the other characters to live in particular places. That may not be the reality of this particular community, one reason why I don't name it. Um, and I think um, that the the community rallied around them, yes, but they also rallied around the community. And um, one of the things that one of the characters says to to another is if, um, if we were in the United States, we would be rallying around the Puerto Ricans who are here. Now we are they. <laughs> so we have to become the people that we are in other places. Uh, and I think that that's, that's a very important um, aspect of my own life, the sense of having community. And if you don't have one or you don't think you have one, is to create them because community are important to our survival and especially in situations like these five women find themselves in. No, and it's true to reality as well. What we saw in Puerto Rico is that diaspora came, you know, not to the rescue, but to some ways to the rescue uh, in, in some of the things that happened in watching particularly communities in rural Puerto Rico, uh, the way that they mm -hmm. came around their, their neighbors. Uh, you said, you've said in the past that it's important for me writing in English that people in the United States see a very specific story about what happened, because sometimes the news only gives you or gives us little bites. What do you want readers to understand about what Puerto Rico went through? Well, I, one of, you know, because I was here in the United States when this was happening, I was just riveted <laughs> to the media in all its forms, trying to understand. And you're right in your um, in, in saying that, you know, the, the Puerto Ricans here really came in a way to the rescue. Although what I, what I like to think is that we really stepped up in a way that the government couldn't. We moved a lot faster than all the other agencies that, that eventually did get involved uh, because we had family there. We knew what was happening. Many of us have experienced these weather events. Climate change is making things a lot worse when you live in these uh, areas that are prone to hurricanes. So, um, so I think that we, we understood that and so we did step up without any question even if we did not have a relative there, we wanted to help. So that was one thing that I found incredibly uh, moving. And I was just so proud of us, of our community here, because we were able to do things that no one else could do because we knew what was going on. Um, then in terms of my wanting to write about this experience is that, as you said, we really become bites and after a while, the news cycle goes on to other things. The world is a very complex place, complicated things happening beyond our doors. And, uh, and the media needs to cover all of it, right? But something like uh, Hurricane Maria is still happening in Puerto Rico. There are people still six years later without electricity, 
without running water, their homes covered by blue tarps. If you're flying in or out of Puerto Rico, you see it. Um, and I wanted to make sure that readers, those who experienced it, whether here or there, or people who read about it, for them to understand that these events are not just events. They happened to people, to human beings who feel and suffer and cry and laugh and have fun and, and have moments of joy, even in the midst of, the, of a devastation uh, event like Hurricane Maria was. So I wanted to bring both of, both of those concepts to the reader. And particularly, I think I really wanted to reach out to people who maybe don't know Puerto Ricanos, who may have never been to Puerto Rico, who perhaps they heard about this hurricane and it was just one of the things that happened that week. I really wanted to make sure that people knew us as human beings and what we experienced during this horrible time that in fact, even as we speak, there's a hurricane hurtling towards that community that is terrifying for those of us who experienced it either here or there. We are already preparing ourselves for what we might have to do given these circumstances. Actually, I'm getting a few goosebumps just remembering uh, those days before. There's a passage in your book uh, where Warren is trying to call Marisol or get in touch with her and say, you know, they're watching the track. Every Puerto Rican in the world is sort of watching the track of this hurricane and watching it speed up in a way that's like so terrifying. Remember the day that it hit the the outer Antilles, like Dominica and all of that, and just like calling your relatives nonstop, you need to brace yourself, this thing is coming. Um, and just like mm -hmm. the, the helplessness that one feels in, in those moments and, and then being cut off from your relatives afterwards was just, um, you know, as someone who was trying to fly in to cover that situation, uh, your book really just, just brought me back to that place. Um, and I hope I, I hope I didn't trigger terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some tears did come out. Like I, I'm definitely like the the first airplane ride into Puerto Rico that I got on a military transport in as a reporter, uh, which is absolutely devastating. I didn't even recognize the place. Um, it just it was just burned, just burned. Yeah, it, it, it really it, it did look as if it just it just had had been raised. And uh, usually when you fly into this this part of, 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 uh, of our world, the entire Caribbean, the thing that's always impressive is just the green, the lushness of these islands. And, uh, and in fact, uh, Maria really completely changed the landscape. Um, but, you know, I think it's just so interesting for us here. We knew what was happening, but after about two or three in the morning, people on the, uh, in the archipelago had no idea what was going on. They had no idea how bad it was. They had no idea that entire communities had been wiped out. They, they didn't know that for days. They do, some of them didn't learn about it for weeks because there was no communication after a certain point. And so it was even more terrifying for them being unable to understand what was happening around them. All they can do is react to what was happening around them, but trying to, to process what was going on was much harder and it took a lot longer than it did for those of us who actually 
had people like you um, telling us and showing us what was going on. I will confess that I, growing up Puerto Rican in the D.C. suburbs, uh, am obsessed with Puerto Rico. Every paper I wrote about in college, every book that I own has some aspect of Puerto Rico. And thankfully to the Post, I've been able to go back and forth to Puerto Rico consistently to keep reporting. And I'm curious, it, Puerto Rico is absolutely a part of your storytelling. Why does it continue to inspire you? Well, um, I was born there. <laughs> I was raised until I was 13 in rural Puerto Rico. And so that's the life that I knew. And then and my expectations as a if I had any as a child were that um, that would be my life. I would be like the women around me, even though I was an ambitious kid and very um, uh, um, uh, creative in the ways that I was imagined my life, but still I never imagined it outside of this community because I loved everyone in it. Uh, not only my parents, but my neighbors, my friends and, and uh, my teachers and everyone around me were people that I respected and loved and expected to live with the rest of my life. So um, of course at 13 then there is what I used to think at, uh, for many, many years as the most traumatic event in my life, which was when we leave the island uh, of, of um, Puerto Rico, when we leave San Juan's airport, um, something happened to me that I couldn't understand, couldn't explain. And it took me years and years to try to figure out why it was so much, it had such a big impact on my life. So, so I think a lot of my writing is to continue to process that experience for myself as, a, as an older person, as an elder in our community, but also very much aware that I was not alone in this experience and I am not alone in this experience now. People are still having those kinds of questions that I had. Um, they may not be coming from Puerto Rico. They might be coming from West Africa. They might be coming from Eritrea. They might be coming from Chile. They, it doesn't matter where they're coming from. They're going through a very, very big change in their lives. And, um, and I think it's important to, to write about this, to read about it, to learn about it. If you haven't had an experience like that, it helps you perhaps with your empathetic self towards people who are going through those experiences. And if you are a person who has been through that experience, you feel less alone in this very dramatic and at many times, in many instances, traumatic experiences. And it's important to feel not quite as alone in them because someone took the time to write about theirs and try to ex express what can happen and what can be done during those moments when you're not really sure what I'm going to do next. We're gonna pivot a little bit towards your writing process. Uh, and because you've said in the past, I like writing about women because as a great reader growing up, I remember that most of the books that even were about women were written by men. How was your work as an author challenged perceptions of specifically Puerto Rican women? 
Well, specifically of Puerto Rican women, because that's what I know. <laughs> this is who I know. I was raised by a single mother and my grandmother, and I'm the eldest of 11 children. But the first three uh, elder children are, um, are girls. And so this was my experience. I was surrounded by my, my titis, my aunts and my cousins. And uh, most of them were female. There were men in our lives. <laughs> my mother did have husbands. My grandmother had a boyfriend. I had boyfriends. So there were men in our lives. But the people who were really around me and the people that I observed and studied, as one does when one even without knowing you're going to be a writer, that's what you do. Um, it was women's lives that interested me. And I have to admit that when I read um, literature written about women by men, I'm going like, why don't they ever mention that we get a period? You know, why aren't they worried about the fact that we, we worry about our hair? You know, <laughs> the kinds of details that only a woman can experience and notice these men didn't think was important, but it's important for us. And uh, and I want to write about those kinds of things, those things that um, that are our preoccupations as as women, and um, and some of them are charming and fun, and some of them really do bother us. <laughs> we want to we want to get through them in some way, and and they need to be. Um, they have to be made real so that we don't feel ourselves like there's something weird about our preoccupations. Las Madres also explores Afro-Latinidad. As Luce and her parents are described as Black Puerto Ricans who are multilingual, French and German. I hope I'm not giving anything away to anyone who hasn't <laughs> read the book. But why was it important for you to depict the characters in this way? It was very important to me that I that I uh, introduce characters who are new to a lot of readers about Puerto Rican life, whether they have read other books or they have seen West Side Story or they have seen other um, other ways of of trying to understand us. Um, so it was important to to me that um, that these these her parents and other characters in in the book are professionals that uh, are not doing what we, uh, the, the vast majority of people imagine we do. None of them are boxers, none of them are baseball players, none of them are uh, singer, dancers, um, rappers, uh, or reggaetoners. So I really wanted to bring a perspective of what is, to me is, but the regular Puerto Rican, these are the people that I know in Puerto Rico. The women that I know are professional, working very, very hard. Some of them stay at home with their children, and that is a profession. And, uh, and I think it's really important to kind of expand, especially because I write in English, to expand the vision of who Puerto Ricans are. And so I seek to try and, and expand that definition and that vision that people have. After Hurricane Maria, you said you hope to see the next generation of Puerto Rican writers tell the story of what they experienced. What have you learned from other authors who've shared their firsthand experience? 
I have, I, I read a lot of testimonies, both by uh, professional authors and also by people who just had to write this experience for other people to, to, to read and, and to know. Uh, and what I learned, how hard it is to express your aspect, your part of it. You know, I'm a memoir writer <laughs> originally, and I know how hard it is to, to write about yourself as if you're looking at somebody else. And so that was one of the things that, that was uh, really fascinating as I was reading the, um, the testimonies particularly, is that these people didn't think of themselves as writers. They thought of themselves as people who had an experience that they had to put it out there for whoever <laughs> may want to read it. Um, and, uh, and they understood um, that, that it had to be told. It had to be told because yes, the media covered it, but the media, again, you know, is limited in terms of how much they can tell, how long it can take and so on. And they can give you the kinds of details that, that perhaps when, you, when you're in Puerto Rico and you're covering somebody's story, you can't see everything and you can't show everything. Um, and so I learned a lot from, from those kinds of, of accounts that I was able to, to, to find. Um, I also found how difficult it, it is for the Puerto Ricanos writing in Puerto Rico about this experience that they're still processing it. And so, so they don't all have the distance that I, fortunately I have, I was not there. And so I can look at this experience from a different uh, lens and a different perspective. Um, if you are in the middle of it, it's very, very emotional and it's difficult to separate what you're feeling with what you're trying to get on the page. And, um, and so I do hope that these writers continue to explore it because the more you do it, the better you get at it. Uh, but also I think we will get wonderful narratives from this. And I think uh, this is yet to come. I wanna close with a quote from you. You said, if we preserve our stories, then they belong to us. How can Puerto Rican authors continue to do that? They have to continue writing. <laughs> They can't get discouraged. Uh, I know there's a very big discussion in Puerto Rico that there's a wonderful, very lively literature in Puerto Rico. It's written in Spanish. That is the language of the island. And um, but that that those stories are not getting outside of the island unless people are fortunate to have access to a wonderful website called libros787.com, where you can buy books by local authors in Puerto Rico in Spanish. A lot of this literature has not been translated into English for those of us who may not feel as comfortable in Spanish, who may not know enough Spanish to read a whole book. And so I think that this is one of the um, one of the things that that I hope in the future will improve that many of these books will be translated so that um, not only non-Spanish speakers who are not from Puerto Rico will read the stories, but for the Puerto Ricans who have been living elsewhere and who may not feel as comfortable in the Spanish language, those stories are important. They're part of our history. They're part of our matter, you know, 
I don't want to say patrimony because, oh, but it is part of our tierra. It's part of, of who we are. And so we need to maintain that, um, that history alive. And, um, and I think it needs to be in both languages at this point, because half of us are here and the other half is over there. I have to say, for for someone who who wasn't there to see, you know, what had happened, like your descriptions of of the island and terrain and and the things, the way that it was just completely disfigured, were spot on. So well done. Um, and it, you know, Thank it's you. funny as I was reading your book, my memories came up in terms of like my photo spread, and so the photos from from having been there and the coverage, I was just like, whoa. <laughs> your descriptions absolutely uh, paint the picture that that came up in my memories so I just I we're out of time so we'll have to leave it there but Esmeralda thank you so much for joining us today thank you so very much for inviting me I'm so glad to be able to speak about Las Madres to your audience and I hope that they will pick it up and uh, get in touch with me I have a website esmeraldasantiago.com I love to hear from my readers um, I'm really sorry if some of you will be triggered <laughs> by some of those scenes, but please, um, I think that you will, um, you will enjoy it and you will have, um, there will, there are moments of laughter in it. So it's not all tragedy. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.